I want us to, uh, we sang of the goodness of God, and I want us to kind of continue in that vein, and I want us to chat of the goodness of God. Um, I'd like for us to get close to our computers so that we can use that chat feature. And I was reading in Psalm 9 this morning, and I'd like to lead us in just a, a real brief meditation. And this is a way for you to participate um, just responding with a word or a phrase in the chat feature. In verse 1, Psalm 9 begins with, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Let me read that again. I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. In other words, like we were just singing, God is good. So what what is it about his goodness that has stood out to you? Uh, what are you thankful for? What deed of the Lord would you like to tell of this morning? And let's use the chat feature for that. What you're thankful for? What is the goodness of God that you're thankful for? And let's, um, I just, I cannot think of a better way for us to enter into this year as a family than focusing on the goodness of God. Hmm. provision. Ah, I love that verse. His mercies are new on everything. His mercies are new every morning. And uh, let's see. Ah, it's perfect timing. Ah, yes. The goodness, the health of my family. Sobriety and recovery. Amen. His providence for Anne-Marie, their family for Tim's new job and being able to teach from home, Anne-Marie says. God's goodness is shown in safety and well-being. It's shown in his love and forgiveness, a fresh start. Hmm. Positive growth in a relationship with her dad, Rebecca says. God is good as help. He's given clarity, protection during the pandemic, challenge and growth. Thankful that God has held you from falling and helped you get back up. Beautiful. Thankful for all the frontline workers. Amen to that. God is good, again, his provisions. He equipped us for the needed pivots in 2020. Yeah. Unconditional love and caring. His goodness extends to everything. Psalm 9. Verse one, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. Father, we lift this up to you as a prayer. We give thanks to you with our whole heart. Um, we thank you for your goodness, and we will tell of your wonderful deeds. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm grateful that we have that chat feature, but I do kind of picture um, when we do this, I picture us in our 
in our big room that we, we grew accustomed to, but we haven't been in for a long time. And I can just hear your voices um, shouting out these things um, together. And I look forward to when we uh, can do that again. Uh, but um, for the time being, I'll take chat. It encourages me. I hope you found this as a, a, a big encouragement for you. And what a great way to um, what a great way to start this year. Maybe a great way for you to start each day this upcoming week. Just read Psalm nine one and take take an opportunity to do that. So um, I want to kind of to lead us into uh, what's going to be a new series for us, and it's going to lay out. Uh, some, I'm going to kind of today uh, point to where we're going for the next few weeks and really even beyond that uh, with this series. Um, before I get to some of the specifics, I just want to say a part of my story, and we, we have different stories uh, regarding our faith background. I know some of you grew up in church and never left. Some of you grew up in church and then couldn't wait to get out of it <laughs> and you're maybe making your way back or you did make your way back and, and maybe this is the first time you've dipped a toe in the water. So we, we have different stories, but right now we are, we are at this point in, in history. And I just wanna share that a part of my story was that the, the future prospect of heaven played a hugely significant role in my early steps of faith. Um, the people that were most influential to me um, they had a genuine concern where, for where I would spend eternity, uh, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, some of you may have a similar story, uh, but the question that was most often posed in the church of my childhood was this, and this may seem like um, a familiar question to some of you. It may be um, the first time you've you've heard this question. I put it in the chat feature, but if you were to die today, do you know for certain that you would go to heaven? I, I remember from a very young age that being asked, um, kind of voiced to a whole church, um, that being directed to me personally. And uh, in some ways it was, it felt like, although this was not the intent, it felt like kind of a fear tactic. Like, well, uh, yeah, I'd like to know for certain if the alternative is what I think it is, then yeah, I'd like to be certain about going to heaven someday. And so that really framed the way I viewed what is kind of a, a churchy word, but it's a very biblical word, salvation. I thought salvation was all about, I just wanna make certain that someday, hopefully not soon, but someday I'm gonna go to heaven when I die. But as I grew and um, some of those same people began to, to speak into my life and then just from my own reading in scripture and some other um, very influential people and books in my life, I began to understand the way Jesus described salvation. And it, was, it came from a completely different angle. It didn't negate the forever of heaven. But I believe that the way Jesus described salvation would be best posed with a different question. And it's this, I'm gonna put this in the chat feature as well. If you knew you were going to live tomorrow and for a long time thereafter, 
how would you invest your life? If you knew you were going to live tomorrow and for a long time thereafter, how would you invest your life? Salvation is not a one and done event. It's not, um, it's not getting your, your ticket uh, stamped just for heaven someday. Salvation is described in the Bible as a quality of life. Now, it is referred to as eternal life, but in John, we read that uh, we get a very clear definition of eternal life. What is eternal life? It is knowing, experiencing the fullness of God. So salvation is a quality of life. It's about living in alliance with the good news that Jesus announced concerning his kingdom. Um, Peter, in one of his letters, describes salvation as a way of life shaped by God's life. And I guess as I, as I think about this upcoming year, I want for you what, what I also want for myself, and that is I don't want us to miss out on the full life that God has for us. And over the next handful of weeks, we're going to look at the components of a habitat conducive to a new and fulfilling way of life. Uh, Jonathan's going to put an image up on the uh, gonna gonna share his screen with us. Um, this word habitat is one I've been mulling over for several months now and thinking about um, the connection between a healthy habitat and the full life that God has for us. And uh, if you look up habit uh, or habitat in a dictionary, it's a place that is natural for the vibrancy and growth of an organism. And so in some ways, that definition of a habitat reminds me of what salvation is. Salvation is a life of vibrancy and growth. Now, to be certain, it's not a problem-free life, uh, nor is it what I would call an easy life, but it's a life worth living. It's the kind of life that is described in the Bible as a treasure buried in a field. And when found, it's worth selling all you have to buy that field. It's a habitat of such value that it's worth selling everything you have to live in it and to experience it. It's not heaven out there somewhere after you die but more than that, it's a place where heaven and earth meet right here where we are. This spiritual habitat is the answer to that second question. If you were to live tomorrow and for a long time after that, would you like to know how to live life to the fullest? And the answer is this spiritual habitat that we're invited into. I think this is something that you, as we discuss this uh, today and in the next few weeks, I think you will benefit from us from this. I need to benefit from this. I just want to say for myself, and I, I'm sure I'm not alone, but after a soul deadening stretch, such as what we have all encountered in the last year or so, we need to be reminded that words like abundance, and deeply rich and meaningful, these are still on the table and there's still viable realities right here, right now. If I was told that I'm gonna to live tomorrow and for a long time after that, 
I want words like abundance, deeply rich, and meaningful to be what characterize my life. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis, the story begins with God creating the perfect habitat for his most prized creation, humankind. And it was that original habitat, the ideal and perfect setting in which God placed Adam and Eve. But the inhabitants of that habitat became marred when they sought to create a different habitat that they thought would be better. And that original habitat became foreign to humanity. And generation after generation since, we continue to settle for lesser unhealthy habitats. But God has never stopped inviting us back to that ancient habitat that is exactly what we need right now. That ancient habitat you will find where heaven breaks through and touches earth even in the normal everyday of your life. Again, salvation is more than a one-time decision on your part. By God's grace, we accept God's invitation into a process of growth that deepens our experience in that spiritual habitat. So that's what I want to kind of focus on today is, is this, that growth plays a key role, an ongoing role. And I want to use an acronym for growth that describes a way of living in a spiritual habitat. And then I want to wrap it up uh, this morning with answering the question, why grow? Why, why would we want to grow and mature in Christ? What makes that habitat that God offers better than the one that maybe you're in right now? So um, using agricultural terms, I've, uh, I've put together an acronym for growth. And as I said, this describes a way of living in a spiritual habitat. And I want you to be able to follow these. Um, so I'm, I'm putting this, this acronym in the chat feature. So I'm going to read through them and, and then I'll, I'll kind of reach back and we'll talk about them just a little bit today, but this is kind of our, our outline of where we're going to go over the next few weeks. Um, the acronym for growth, G, this habitat is one in which we are grounded in God's narrative. Um, we are, we realize that a healthy habitat begins with a healthy narrative. And so we will look at what narrative you pattern your life after, what narrative gives shape to your life, to the way you view yourself and the way you view others. The R rooted in love, I want you to discern what it is you desire, what your soul truly longs for, and how your loves shape your life. The things that you love will be what compels you moving forward. The O, orchards of community. The people closest to you play a significant role in the health of your habitat. The W, winters of pruning. So it, this one, I'm just telling you right now, if you're going to miss one week, this will be the one that you would probably want to miss, okay? <laughs> this is not my favorite part of this acronym, but it is such a key part of my growth 
and experiencing the fullness, the W, winters of pruning, I would explain it like this. A gardener knows the value of trimming away the dead and dying in order to make room for new growth. So we're going to consider that. And then finally, the T, um, or not finally, next, the T, a trellis of practices. Um, healthy, balanced growth carries us up and out. And the trellis is a framework of habits to guide our growth both up to God and out for the sake of others. And then H, harvest of good works. The proper trellis of habits naturally produces a harvest of good works that advance this work of God and his kingdom. In other words, we don't just dwell in this habitat. Um, we find ways to invite more and more people in to experience this habitat. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that more um, in, the, in the next few weeks, one letter at a time. Uh, but I want to ask this question, why is it vital for you and I to be healthy and to grow? And I just want to take a moment and I want us to consider a few verses of scripture that highlight the process of growth. Um, I want to begin with the example of Jesus. We probably have this picture in mind that Jesus just appeared and he was everything all at once. But we forget, though he maintained um, full divinity, he also took on the fullness of humanity. So he himself subjected um, himself uh, gave himself over to what it would be like to have to learn and to grow. Luke 2.52 tells us, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's Luke 2.52, if you want to look that up. Fully man and fully God, he voluntarily set aside some of his divine prerogatives in heaven as he incarnated, as he became God with us. And this verse describes for us Jesus' mental, social, and spiritual powers that were developed along with his physical strength. Now, what I want us to see in this word grew, Jesus grew, it's a very vivid, um, uh, it's, a, it's a word picture, and it means to make one's way forward by chopping down obstacles. It's a, it's a vivid description of this maturation process. Um, you can kind of picture we're, we're growing, we're making progress, but there's stuff that we have to clear out for us to make progress on our journeys. It's also the same word that a blacksmith would use, um, an ironsmith, as he is um, heating up metal and pounding it to, to thin it and to stretch it, to grow it. So this is the picture, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And if you're an English major, you'll know what I mean by this. That word, that verb, grew, is the imperfect tense. In other words, it indicates a progressive, ongoing action. Jesus grew and continued growing. He grew and he kept growing. And in doing that, he modeled for us what life can be like in that spiritual habitat. Jesus was grounded in the narrative of his father. What Jesus did 
was always rooted in love. Jesus surrounded himself with an orchard of community. Even Jesus was subjected to winters of pruning. We see also in the Gospels that he aligned his life with the Father and made himself available to others with a set framework, a trellis of practices. And then he invites us and his disciples and all that he met, he invited them into this harvest of good works. So we've got the example of Jesus that we, that we need to grow. Um, we've got the example of Jesus and the way he modeled life um, as we return to that original habitat that we um, will encounter growth and thrive in. Uh, but this is something for us. Uh, Peter says this in his first letter, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. I remember this was a verse that really caught my attention as a young boy. Um, I, my dad was six, five and a half. I had uncles and uh, some distant cousins that were way taller than that. And so the thought of growing taller was always of interest to me. Um, I am ended up being the smallest male in my family. My brother is taller. My sister married a guy that's like three inches taller. Um, but this thought of growing physically was always of interest to me. And so I found this verse particularly of interest, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And I remember uh, drinking milk, thinking that would help me in my growth process. But he is, Peter is using that as an analogy, um, saying that we begin with uh, the, the milk, the teachings of scripture, and this helps us to grow up in our salvation. And again, salvation is not just a one and done thing. We are growing up in our salvation. We are growing up in this new way of living. We are growing up in this habitat as God originally created us to experience. We are saved, and yet we are continually growing in the fullness of salvation. Another passage that I want us to, to think about this morning is Psalm 92, um, beginning in verse 12. And this passage, again, talks about the process of growth. I wish that we were already there. I wish that um, in that moment of inviting Christ into our life, that we are already, boom, mature. Uh, we know that's not going to happen in the physical world, but sometimes we have a hard time accepting that spiritually and emotionally and mentally. Um, Psalm 92, 12 says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. I'll put that verse in the chat as well. Um, there's a couple of words that highlight the process. That word flourish means to bud or to sprout. And then grow is to increase, to grow up. So you can kind of see the progression, what starts as like a seed or a bud, and then it begins to sprout, will increase and grow up. And the cedars of Lebanon uh, was something that, uh, that they would easily correlate with something that is, is huge and strong. Um, they were renowned for their immensity. Continuing on in this, uh, in Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14, this is great news for some of us who maybe 
aren't quite as young as we used to be. <laughs> um, planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Now get this, that, that phrase bear fruit means to make cheerful. Isn't that beautiful? In our old age, the older we get, it's like the psalmist is saying we have that much more of an opportunity to bring cheer to other people. And even in old age, it's got this, we will remain, we will stay fresh and green. Even in old age, we're going to be like that young green shoot. And the, expe the expectation of scripture isn't that we will grow old together, but that we will grow up together. So think of it this way. Could it be that if as a church, our average age increased, that would just simply mean that we are able to bring that much more cheer into the world? What if that was one of the reputations of our church, the way we brought cheer and joy to people around us? Beautiful. That's the kind of habitat I want to be a part of. Ephesians 4, Paul describes um, what it's like for an individual to grow, but also for a group of people, a church, to grow. Um, this is a great picture. It's full of, of word pictures that Paul gives us here. So I'd like for you to read along with me. Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that's a picture of growing until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. We grow, we mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, before I read any more, um, we're going to have a chance to participate in this. I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, based on this passage, that's one reason why I put it in the chat feature so you can look at it. What explicit or implied words or phrases characterize a maturing person in a growing church? Paul describes what a person who is growing looks like, what a church that is growing looks like. And I want you to respond to that. Um, just put those descriptors in the chat as I continue to read. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Unity is such a big part of this. Um, yeah, Jamie, stability. Um, we share this. We're, we're encouraging. We're building others up. There's this knowledge and relationship with Christ. Yeah, it's not just a, a head knowledge, but it's a friendship that we enter into. Um, steadfastness. I love the steadfastness and the stable theme that's in that. You know, we become wise. We bear fruit. We're open 
we have open hands and hearts. Um, there's empathy and outreach. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of, of thinking about our, our role. Um, serving, igniting fires of Jesus. That's beautiful. We, we become embers. If you uh, remember that from a few weeks ago, we become embers. That's what the church is. Um, there is visible growth. In other words, we don't stay where we are. And I'm going to use that as kind of a, I'm going to read this next verse um, from Acts. But I want to pose this question, is numerical growth important? Really, is it, we, we wouldn't argue that we need to grow more mature, that we need to grow more like Christ. But is numerical growth important? And I would say, yes, it is very important, but that's not the goal. Numerical growth is never the goal. Acts 4 says this, but many who heard the message believed so that the number of those who believed grew to about 5,000. So apparently it carries some weight. And then later in Acts 16, we read, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So numerical growth, I, I believe it's important. It's never the goal. And what I want us to see in those two verses is not only did the number of Christians grow, not only did the number of those who were saved and experiencing this new life grow, but the number of churches grew also. Numerical growth within a church, but also the number of churches. I mentioned earlier, Scott and his family and their friends planted new church down in San Martin. It, it's a picture of this, of a group of Christians who were growing, and out of that came a new fellowship, a new body of Christ, a new church. So I want to just kind of almost rapid fire, we'll kind of wrap up with this. Why grow? Why do we want to grow as a church this year? Why might we want to grow as individuals within this church? And I would start off by saying, because life is not getting any easier. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I say, let's grow because life isn't going to get any easier. Maybe 2021 is going to be different than 2020 but I don't think any of us think it's gonna be easy. I'm not waiting for life to get easier. I'm training to get stronger. If life gets easier, if I hit a section of my journey where I can kind of, it's downhill, I'll take it. But even then I don't plan on coasting. I'm still gonna pedal if for no other reason than to gain momentum to help carry me up the next hill. I want to grow stronger because the mountains are not going to get any smaller. We are not rounding the corner to a year that any of us thinks is going to be a cakewalk. But there are some very clear and simple and doable principles for strengthening and stabilizing ourselves. And that's going to be the focus of what we're going to discuss in the next few weeks. Well, there's other reasons why we may want to grow. I say we grow because we don't have to remain chained to that seemingly unbreakable habit. Why grow? Because forgiveness is a better life than harboring bitterness. Because love is a better life than lust. Because freedom is a better life than a lack of self-control. Why grow? Because healthy vulnerability 
is a better life than loneliness because contentment is a better life than working around the clock for things that cannot satisfy. Why grow? Because being loved unconditionally is a better life than waking up every day having to prove your worth. Because resting in the grip of God's grace is a better life than straining to hold on by myself in my own strength. Why grow? Because quite frankly, the people closest to you will benefit from your growth. One of the greatest gifts you can give to the people you love is the gift of your whole self, mature, holding nothing back. Why grow? It's to experience the fullness of the habitat for which we were created. If I don't grow, I miss out on some great things in life. If I don't grow, my world shrinks to Gary-sized rather than expanding to God-sized. Jesus said it this way, I came so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. That's John 10, 10. I came so that you can have real and eternal life, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. So before we transition to communion, I want to give you just a, a brief moment to reflect. What has God said to you this morning? What's God saying to you at the beginning of this year? That through just these words that we've sung, through these words that we've seen in scripture, is there a truth that you want to hold on to? Maybe you need to journal that. You need to write it on a post-it note carry that with you. Is there a promise that you want to claim? Maybe you didn't know that this life, fullness of life, this habitat is something that God created you for. Maybe that's a promise that you want to claim. The third question, is there a faith step that you need to take? Is there an action step based upon these things? Is there a truth you want to hold on to? Is there a promise that you want to claim? Is there a faith step that you need to take? As you reach for your communion elements, um, remember that question up top? If you knew you were going to live tomorrow and for a long time thereafter, how would you invest your life? Let me tell you how Jesus answered that question. He answered that question by giving his life away, by offering his life for us. And that is the basis for why we pause on a weekly basis to remember. Jesus chose willingly to offer himself for us so that we could experience fullness in life. If you would, with me, as we recall and use our imaginations of what it would have been like when Jesus had that last meal with his disciples, when he said these very words, this is my body offered for you. As often as you eat this bread, you remember my death.
And then at the end of that meal, he took a cup and he said to those who had been living in cooperation with him, to his apprentices, he said, this is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Father, we, we receive these symbols of your life offered for us. Yes, we look forward to eternity in your presence in heaven. But we also, because of your sacrifice, we thank you that we can experience the eternal here on earth. That we can live in what most would consider a very secular world, but we can see the sacred in it. We see you in the conversations that we have, in the places where we live and work and play. And we want to be active participants in making heaven known here on earth. Thank you, Jesus, for salvation. We thank you for a new way of life. Amen.